This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Adele Ferguson, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. Good to be here. I'm really um, looking forward to our conversation today. I was going to say excited. That's probably not the word. Um, Very intrigued, uh, very interested and disappointed with how this country is going at the moment. So let's get started. I will introduce you. Adele is a multi-award winning senior business writer and a columnist for the leading newspapers, The Age, The Sydney Morning Herald and The Australian Financial Review. She also wrote the best-selling unauthorised biography on Gina Reidhart. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Anyway, with more than 20 years in journalism, Adele carries a reputation as one of Australia's most awarded journalists. Her awards include eight Walkley Awards, including the Gold Walkley for her Four Corners program, Banking Bad, two Gold Quill Awards, two Gold Kennedy Awards, a Logie and the Graham Perkin Journalist of the Year. In 2019, Adele was awarded a member of the Order of Australia. Congratulations. Thank you. It's quite a stellar career. Her investigations expose corporate wrongdoing and she is a strong advocate for giving vulnerable people a voice. Some of her investigations include the 7-Eleven, Domino's and Caltex wage fraud scandal and she helped trigger a parliamentary inquiry into the 170 billion franchise sector. Her series of investigations into banks over the past five years helped bring about a Royal Commission into the sector. Her book, Banking Bad, tells that story. I mean, it is, it it just gave me goosebumps and I cried in parts of it. It is not just a business story, is it? It's a human story. It's very much a human story. Yeah. Because it's it's what happens when organisations put profit before people. It can have catastrophic effects. Do you know, um, I wonder whether people think of people when they're making decisions, when they're, you know, I mean, anyway, we'll get started from the beginning, but it's just astounding to me how that many people can make these decisions and not think about others. Anyway. All right, let's start with how this came to you. How was it that you came about this story? It came with a phone call from a senator called John Wacker Williams, who'd received a call from a whistleblower, Jeff Morris, who was a financial planner inside the Commonwealth Bank. And he was feeling really frustrated because he'd gone to the corporate regulator um, quite a while before to blow the whistle on forgery, fraud, and a cover-up of management. And the regulator had done nothing. So frustrated, he'd gone to a number of politicians and journalists and had got nowhere. And finally, he thought he'd try Wacker Williams because he'd been quite vocal on Storm Financial and liquidators. And he struck gold with John. John gave me the call and he said, you you know, you should have a look into this. 
So I rang up Jeff Morris and he gave me over a thousand pages of documents which I poured through, had to stack it up and spoke to victims of these terrible egregious crimes and then put out a story on June 1, 2013, which I'll never forget because emails just went crazy. I'd never seen anything like it in my career and I'd covered quite a lot of stuff before this. That's how I'd got to meet Wacker Williams and uh, it was just people. It was it was like a, akin to a Me Too movement mm. where just a lot of Australians were just saying, this happened to me. I thought it was just I was alone and I, I was silly. I think it's so much bigger than the Me Too movement as well. It's, it's as insidious, but yeah. so much bigger. Yeah. Because it's everyday people constantly. That's, that's right, yeah. And, and I think what happened was the, the people who'd spoken up in these stories were people that you could relate to. You think, actually, that could happen to me. Could be my mother, could be my brother. That's exactly right. And other people inside the bank started sending documents mm. and it just made it bigger. It wasn't, the bank had tried to say it's just one bad apple, this dodgy Don Nguyen financial planner, but it was... Tell me about Don Nguyen. T tell us about that because he was such a dodgy character. Uh, he, uh, he was, but he was the star financial planner at Commonwealth Bank. So he was taken on trips, he was awarded, he got a huge bonuses for putting people into... Bad products. products Tell me about Don and what he did because yes. it is, I mean, he should be in jail. Well, he's not. Mm. Uh, he, got, he got banned for seven years by the corporate regulator. That was his lot and was allowed to resign from the bank instead of being terminated and ended up on income protection insurance from the bank. Oh. So he was quite well looked after. What he did was... People would go into the bank, people like uh, M the Blanches, an elderly couple who Merv had been a headmaster at a school in his working life and had put the school kids into CBA, Dolomites programs. So he, he was been with the bank for his entire life. And so when he wanted to invest his, you know, not a lot of money, he went to the Commonwealth Bank into his branch and was told to see Don Nguyen, the star planner. And Don was telling him, you don't have a lot of money. Normally, I don't deal with people with your amount of money, but I'll make an exception. So they felt quite special. Mm, that's the sales pitch. That's the sales pitch. And he put them into products. They thought they were getting into conservative products, and they weren't. They were the complete opposite. And the GFC happened. Their money just blew up. And they went in, and uh, they were told, it's the GFC. It's your fault. And they were just devastated. They had to go on a pension. He'd worked hard all his life. He'd never taken a dollar off the government and they ended up on a, on a pension because they couldn't afford to live. See, the, I mean, I was, I had to put it down and get up because I was so angry in parts. I was so angry that the regulator just continually wasn't interested, that this could have been stopped many, many years ago. Well, this was the really terrible thing. Even before Jeff Morris had come to the bank, which was in March 2008, Commonwealth Bank knew what was going on in that division. They had been there in 2006 and saw shocking stuff. They saw that the compliance systems weren't working properly and the remuneration was conflicted and that they weren't breaching the wrong people. You know, so many things they, they detected and knew about and ignored it. They just told the bank, fix it up. They go back early in 2008 and see things are getting worse. 
still nothing happens. They write What they do is they write a very stern letter to the head of financial planning. What does that mean? It, I mean, what does that mean? It means absolutely nothing because yeah. they, the bank just probably throws it in the bin because they certainly didn't make any changes to those systems or uh, castigate or sack the financial advisors who were the problem. So Don just keeps going on about his business, putting more and more people into these products. Yeah. And, and then, risking their entire savings. Which is what happened. Mm. It blew up. You know, So he had so many clients that were just financially devastated. And the Blanches were very lucky that they had a daughter called Marilyn Swan who went round one day and saw the father was just in a shocking state, depressed. He was, he really was terrible. And she asked what was going on and they, t they told her. So she rang up the bank and started to ask questions. And they said, do you have all of the documents? And she said, no, I don't. Can you send them to me? And they sent all the documents that they'd signed. But she did they did have all the documents. So she compared them. She got on her hands and knees and compared the documents the bank sent her and the documents that they'd kept for a number of years. And they had been doctored. So this isn't by Don Nguyen. Is this that is not by criminal? People, this is by people in the bank who are trying to cover up because they initially, they'd lost about $90,000 and they initially said, you can have a few thousand, I think it was like $6,000 compensation just to shut them up. But she just, once she told them she had these two versions of the documents, the compensation started to go up and up and up. Finally, they took something that was close to what they'd lost. But they'd been fighting for so long that they just decided enough is enough, we'll just take it. And for those people that don't have a daughter who has a voice, who can protect them, what happened to them? Oh, well, exactly. What mm. happened to them? Mm. Do you know, I mean, you know, in, in terms of big picture stuff, I wondered why the government wasn't as interested as it should have been because when these frauds happen, these people end up on welfare. Yeah, they do. But and you think there would be more interest to prevent that? No. Well, what happened was there was a parliamentary inquiry after this big scandal which found that there were way more than a few dodgy planners mm. that found that there was systemic dodginess going on in that division mm. and that the regulator was completely missing in action, that the recommendation that came down out of that parliamentary inquiry in 2014 was for a Royal Commission into Commonwealth Bank. And the reason they gave is, we don't trust the regulator mm. to do the job. We think it's too trusting, too timid, and it's basically be, become too captive, which was a damning indictment by this parliamentary, these, you know, senators sitting, you know, from the Greens to the National Party. Labor didn't support those recommendations and nor did the coalition. Mm. It was just these few senators on a committee that had listened to egregious behaviour for 12 months. Mm. And so that's when the fight began. More whistleblowers came forward from different banks. You know, there was NAB, there was ANZ, there was IOOF, and it just kept on going on and on. And it was just repeated. Every single institution had similar problems going on. And still, both Labor and the coalition were saying, we don't need a Royal Commission. Do you know, and I also think, and, you know, maybe I'm exaggerating here, but I feel that if you hadn't outed them, we were heading towards a financial catastrophe. Don't you think? Like... It, it is quite possible because it was building to something. It because, was. Because it wasn't just in financial advice. It was in 
life insurance. So it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And then you had irresponsible lending, which has been played a very big role in the property bubble because you had um, more than 50% of loans that were written were by mortgage brokers. Mm. And the way they are commissioned was encouraging them to put people into loans that were bigger than they could afford. Mm. And so you've got, you had UBS, an investment bank, that was publishing reports estimating how many liar loans there were in this country. And it's, it was really frightening and, and still no Royal Commission. It took the life insurance scandal, Commonshaw. Um, Talk to me about that. Yeah, in 2016 for the Labor Party to say, okay, we'll have a Royal Commission. Mm. So the life insurance scandal was a Dr. Ben Coe, who was Chief Medical Officer at Commonwealth Bank. So when he joined, they put out a press release. So he had a very senior position. And he then sees a lot of wrongdoing. In inside the life insurance division, and he becomes really disturbed. And it's things like um, heart oh, attack. Thank goodness for people like him. Thank goodness, yeah. Heart attack definitions were ten years out of date in policies. So he does an audit. He just takes a random fifty policies of people who've put in claims for heart attacks to see how that's gone, because he's feeling a bit disturbed that this definition is out of date. How's that translating to when people make claims? And he finds that more than 30% of them are legitimate claims that are getting knocked back. So he mentions that to his boss. He also sees that the claims managers who are getting bonuses for the least amount of claims that they're accepting are starting to cherry pick which doctors they use to, to look at oh. policy claims. So they're cherry-picking doctors that, that are denying claims. And so he's coming to this conclusion that people who are um, terminally ill, if they're on a donor waiting list, and who knows if they're going to get one or it's going to work, they're getting knocked back. So there's all these things going on and he's becoming increasingly disturbed and he's finding that he's getting knocked, you know, mm. nothing's getting through here. So he becomes an internal whistleblower and he writes to the Commonwealth Commonshaw Board mm. and, and says this is what's going on. They end up terminating him. See, and that's another thing, the board. Yeah. I mean, who are these people and why aren't they liable? Yeah, well, this is, this is what's so terrible about it. He gets terminated and they use a, they say that he's actually breached the IT policy at Commonwealth Bank. So he's sacked. He comes to me to say, you've really got to look into Commonshaw. And then I also get quite a few documents from, you know, that miraculously arrive. And it's got various people, such as a guy called James Kessel, who had had a heart attack, a significant heart attack, and his claim had been rejected. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And it was the troponin levels in the blood weren't high enough. And so even though he had died and he could hear, you know, it was we think we've lost him, and then he gets brought back with a defibrillator. That's not significant enough of a heart attack for Commonwealth Bank. So he gets rejected. But in these internal documents, there is a little panel of executives who are looking at his claim saying, this definition's out of date. Maybe we should give him an excrasher payment. He doesn't get that. He gets $25,000 for stents. He should have got his policy uh, made him eligible for a million dollar payout because mm. he'd been paying it for 27 years. Absolutely. Premium policy that if yeah. he had a trauma, a heart attack or whatever, this is what he would get. We tracked him down in We War and said, did you ever get an excrasher payment? And he's saying, no, I got $25,000 for stents. So someone had knocked back, and I never got to the bottom of it. Someone had actually overridden this committee that had recommended an excrasher payment to him. Mm. I mean, to get to the bottom, there'd, there'd be hundreds and thousands, wouldn't there? Yeah, so they then they hired Deloitte to yeah. do a report into it, which was basically whitewashed. Yeah, because they're all in it. Yeah, ASIC, ASIC did a report which was just so disappointing. When I looked at it, my heart fell. It yeah. was terrible. They got and away with murder. And it was only when the Royal Commission came on that it really put the spotlight on what had gone on at Commonshaw. Mm. And Dr. Coe felt vindicated. And I certainly felt vindicated as well. Talk to me, just tell me the scenario about the guy that, that first started it, that lost his farm. He went to the bank to borrow some money. Oh, so that's John Wacker Jack, Williams. Yes, yeah, that's right. so when I was looking at doing the book, I'd written about all these scandals, but I wanted to go back to where did it, how did we get here? Mm. Where, you know, when did the rot start to set in? Mm. So someone had recommended I read a book by a former senator called P, uh, Paul McLean, and it's called Banks Are Bastards. And it was talking about all these. <laughs> clear, crystal yeah. clear. And he was, so he's in the 80s, <laughs> yeah. and he's calling for royal commission into banks because, because they'd gone crazy. And he was called a populist whinger. Uh, bank basher, exactly the same mm. as what we'd all been called. Mm. And I thought, this is just really extraordinary. And there were these Swiss currency loans that they'd been putting farmers into. I rang up John Williams and I said, oh, I've just read this book and it's amazing that, you know, we actually got a Royal Commission because there was so much bad stuff going on back then. And he said, actually, I know Paul McLean, he helped me. I was one of those victims. And I said, tell me about it. And he said, well, after the financial system was deregulated un under the Hawke-Keating government, it plugged us into the global economy, made the banks more competitive because 16 foreign banks came in. But what happened was there wasn't any strong regulators. So the banks were allowed to really do whatever they wanted. So mm -hmm. they just were lending money. They like went there was rogue. No yeah. tomorrow. You had all these entrepreneurs, bonds, skies. So things were just 
going crazy. You had people with sandwich boards walking down the road, you know, spruiking bank products. So John Williams is a farmer at this time. There's been a drought. He's desperate for money because he can't pay his bills. Mm -hmm. So he goes to Commonwealth Bank, local Inverell branch, to get a $200,000 loan and is told about the Swiss currency loans, saying these are better because instead of paying a 15% interest rate, which it was at the time, you just pay 7 or 6%. And the only catch is you've got to take out a minimum of $500,000 loan. So his loan goes from 200 to 500, but they somehow convince him to take a $640,000 loan. And he comes out very happy. And then two weeks later, the currency turns and that loan is now 1.5 million. See, I don't understand how that happened. I can't, can you explain that to me yeah. in a financial way? Yeah, so the currency changed. So, so he, he, he now owns one, he, owes. He owes $1.5 million. So even if he hadn't touched his loan. That's exactly right. As soon as he signed on the dotted line, that was it. The currency I mean, that's changed. That's got to be yeah, criminal. Because they didn't explain it to him. They said, nothing can go wrong. This, so he just thought he was getting a safe loan worth $640,000. He didn't realise it was linked to currency, even though it was called a Swiss foreign currency loan. He didn't realise that do it we was know? so complex. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. right. He trusted the bank. Mm. And the relationships between businesses and bank managers, you know, are meant to yeah. be a trusting so relationship. He thought, hey, this sounds like yeah. a great deal. It's a lower interest rate. It sounds safe. Mm. I'd be an idiot to take out a 15% mm. loan. And so he did it, signed, and then he ends up losing everything. Five generations of farm, all gone. His wife leaves him. He ends up in a $2,000 caravan and he fights the bank for years and eventually he wins, but he's it's lost everything. everything. Yeah, it's terrible. He's lost everything. Yeah, and then he's just selling nuts and bolts, going around the country trying to scrape yeah. some money together, and then he gets into politics. And then he comes back for them. He comes back. Yeah. He, he the mm. first thing he's back. He starts in July one, two thousand and eight. Global financial crisis is you know mm. really bubbling away, and then he gets a phone call from. Paul McLean, who'd helped him years ago, to say, have you been looking at what's going on with Storm Financial? There's a lot of old people in Queensland who are just, you know, they've lost everything. They're in their 70s and their 80s and they've lost their homes and they're just absolutely beside themselves. Mm -hmm. Can you go and help? And he does. Adele, I just want to read you this um, headline that was, I think it was in the, oh, well, I only saw it today, so it might have been in the papers yesterday. Uh, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Kenneth Hayne, trust in politics has been destroyed. Banking Royal Commissioner Ken Kenneth Hayne has launched a rare attack on the political establishment, accusing it of being captured by vested interests, destroying public faith in institutions and reducing policy to three-word slogans. It is... That is, to me, one of the most depressing headlines that I've read in a long time. But it, it's it's absolutely true. Mm. We have been so captured by vested interests. And this is one of the things that I discovered when I was researching the book, was if you go back to the early 90s, Alan Fells becomes the head of the Trade Practices Commission, which is now the ACCC, the com competition watchdog. Mm. One of his first jobs is a whistleblower comes to him about a company called Colonial Mutual, which is one of the biggest I remember that. life yeah. insurance companies, and says 
they're selling life insurance products to vulnerable people, to Aboriginals who don't understand what they're buying. They don't can't afford it and they can't claim. So he comes up with these set of recommendations, you know, have a code of conduct, commissions are bad, all of this stuff. And then the vested interest, the lobby groups get involved. That report goes nowhere. And then 20 years later, you know, I'm writing about life insurance industry. Mm. And what I found, the pattern all the time is you have a parliamentary inquiry, you get this great report with recommendations, and the lobby groups get involved and say, oh, you know, the whole world's going to come crumbling down if you mm. put any of those recommendations into legislation. It's, it's mm. going to be the end of the world. Mm. And Politicians and you know what? Believe it. They do believe it. And all those vested interest people, all those companies, that top 10%, that top tier just gets wealthier and wealthier. And then the bottom, I mean, it just plummets out like we're seeing. And they're, they're the people that are rorted. I want to just go back to the media, yeah. privacy, whistleblowing, the AFP raid on the ABC and some of the newspapers. Yeah. To me, where in a climate where the media is changing because of technology. So we've gone from, you know, print to paper and we're trying to find our way. We're trying to find a, a, a model there that actually works. But I think more than ever, we need good journalism now. And yet the money isn't there anymore, is it? No, it's really tough. There's a, one a positive in all of this is the media is realising that people want to pay for quality journalism, for independent journalism. We absolutely need it. So the media organisations are, are investing in that. They're backing it, which is a good thing. You That's know, so you, you saw recently with Crown, you know, it's a really mm. risky story. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's really risky and because investigative pieces are, you know, mm. there can be defamation claims. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it takes a long time to do the story, so you're not pumping them out, you know, mm. every few hours. So they're costly, they're risky. And they media, need experience. And media outlets are starting to realise that that's the way to keep people subscribing. Yeah. So they're starting to, you know, and even the way that we look at Previously, it was journalism. So it was the number of clicks you got on a story. Now it's how long someone's engaged on that story. Mm. Talk to me about um, whistleblowers because did I read somewhere, and I don't have my facts right here, but that we're trying to legislate so that they are charged. Is that right? Was well, there something I, I that happened recently? I, I have a... Uh, last year I did a, a Four Corners and... Age Sydney Morning Herald mm. joint venture on the tax office, mm. and there was a whistleblower in that in there called Richard Boyle, mm. who's done a great national service to this country, showing how the ATO treats small business. Terrible. I've had this. I've had experience with them. Terrible thugs. He was yeah. he was raided, mm. and then charged with sixty six mm. charges, equivalent to one hundred and sixty one years in jail if he loses the case. Mm. Which because has had he's a, a chilling, whistleblower. He, which has had a chilling effect on the public sector. So we have public sector whistleblowing laws and we have private sector. Both of them are really weak. Corporate sector is a bit better. The legislation went through just recently to, to improve the why law of whistleblowers. Why are we so scared of whistleblowers? I, I don't understand why we need any laws around it at all. It's usually people 
telling us something that we need to know, isn't it? Or is that naive? I think it's naive. They don't want you to know. Companies don't want you to know because they think that it's going to smear their reputation. So they want it to stay hidden because it's often about people that they like in that in that corporation and they don't want to upset the, you know, it's part of a club. It really, it, 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 I'm baffled with, with whistleblowers. I really am baffled because I think a society needs to know. It and does. It, yeah. But it's a mindset. In the US, there is a whistleblower day to celebrate whistleblowers. There are, is a reward system in the US where there's a bounty. If they... If it stacks up, on the same. I love that. Yeah, if if it stacks up, they get about twenty percent of the proceeds of the crime. Yeah, they are. It, it's illegal to get rid of a whistleblower. Whereas here, we treat them like criminals. Yeah, we do. We smear them. We disparage them. They okay. never get a job. They no. can never get a job. Yeah, I mean that's what Je- John Jeff Morris was saying the other day. You know, we, in the media, he's treated like a hero. Try and get a job. Mm. So I want to talk about the recent raids by the AFP. What's happening to society there? It's it's really scary. They're saying it's you know it's na- national interest, but it took them how how many years mm. to to do the raids? If it mm. was such a serious national interest issue, it would have happened the day after. Mm. So mm. it's just an excuse to just chill everybody so that any would-be whistleblower will stay quiet. I'm getting increasingly more nervous about this country, particularly with the current government, and I'm thinking we're heading towards a police state. I really am. I don't know whether that's just me. I'm reading into things. But, you know, we are absolutely, I mean, going, like, you know, uh, lockout laws, um, you know, fines, whistleblowers putting them in jail, like, you know, um, and the media trying to, you know, make them identify their source and what's yeah, going exactly. on? exactly. Defamation laws are Defamation just crippling laws. in That's this country. Right. I mean, remember that New York Times article saying that, 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 that Australian defamation law is archaic, it you is. know. Absolutely. Where are we going? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, mm. it is, it's very disturbing. We need somebody like you, Adele. We need you to stay and we need you to keep telling the stories. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. My pleasure. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? 
the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.